Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Throwback Book Stack. Thank you for joining us again this week. I am one of your hosts, Kelly. And I'm Emily. And we're really happy that you're here to join us again. This week, we're going to be talking about the book The Egypt Game by Zilpha Keatley Snyder. Um, The book is from 1967, and this was something we both read as kids, correct? Yeah. I read it. I have no clue how old I was when I read it, but it was definitely like one of those books I just owned and would sometimes like go back to and read a lot. Like it was kind of like a comfort food type book where it wasn't anything that like blew my mind or anything, but it was just like easy to read. I remembered pretty much of it actually before we reread it this time. Yeah. What about you? I, this was one I'd read maybe twice as a kid. It wasn't one that I super loved, but um, I read it, I remember very distinctly I read it in junior high, because I remember very distinctly the shelf that it is on in the library there. I remember really liking it as a kid and really engaging in sort of their sense of mystery and magic about the world in a lot of ways, but I liked it, I didn't love it as a kid, so I was really interested to read it again as an adult and see whether it meant I liked it more or less. So for those of you who don't know the summary of this book. Oh, I guess this is a good time to summarize it. So this book is basically about like a group of kids who all live together. Like, no, not together, but they live in the same- They live in the same building. Yeah. In the same neighborhood, same building and stuff. Uh, Different ages, kind of like forced together at first, some of them, because they live in the same building and their parents are like, go hang out with these kids. But they all kind of come together because uh, the oldest ones are kind of at the age where I think it's the weird tie between like being embarrassed that you like imaginary and fantasy games and like still wanting to do it and then some of the kids are younger and are a little less like embarrassed about it but it's basically they gather in this like abandoned backyard of (laughs) uh this like kind of sketchy recluse guy who owns an antique shop and have like built a fake like egypt and they play a lot of these like imaginary games about being egyptians and being like high priests and stuff and then there's like kind of a like a B plot that's woven in and out about for the past two years, like two kids have mysteriously died in the neighborhood and like the adults are kind of wary and like what's going on with that? Like, is there a dangerous thing going on in this neighborhood? Yeah, it's not really a plot driven book beside like despite the fact that I just said that it was about like, oh, there's mysterious murders happening, like it really isn't a plot driven book. It's just about These kids and, like, them being friends, them kind of starting to grow up a little and wanting to play these games still, like. Yeah, it does have a loose plot, but it's not very plot-driven. I mean, in the end, it's sort of, we have the two main girls and their brother, and then they the people they sort of befriend throughout the year and draw into their Egypt game. And they do end up catching a murderer, though, so there is a little bit of a plot. Yeah, so to sum it up a little better, it starts out following this girl, April, who's been, um, her mom's an actress, and she's grown up in Hollywood, and her dad has died years ago, Mm -hmm. I think, and she's been sent to live with her, her grandma, the mother of her dad, in this, like, apartment complex where a lot of the people work at, like, a university, so it's actually a very diverse cast of people yeah but so she sends to live with her grandmother her grandmother tells her to go hang out with this other little girl who lives in an like apartment complex named melanie and melanie has a little four-year-old brother named marshall marshall's the best he's great and he's one of those like precocious four-year-olds but he's not annoying 
just excessively precocious. Like, he is a 60-year-old man trapped in a four-year-old's body. Yes, and Marshall has a stuffed animal he carries around everywhere. It's an octopus named Security that is very important to the plot. (laughs) (laughs) So they kind of hit it off, despite both of them not knowing if they would, because, like, April's, like, hella weird. She grew up in Hollywood, and she does things like, where's her hair in a beehive? And wears <laughs> fake eyelashes that she doesn't know how to put on properly. <laughs> and, like, a weird boa that she drags around. And so they spend the summer together because they find that they both like to play, like, these imaginary games where they, like, cut out pictures of random people in magazines and make up stories about them and stuff. And they're the ones who find this discover, like, discover this backyard, basically, of this old man in the neighborhood who everyone just calls the professor who runs an antique shop that's kind of, like, rundown and scary-looking and, like, dark. And in his backyard, it's, like, like you said, overgrown and kind of abandoned. But there's, like, the bust of the head of Nefertiti, the Egyptian queen. And they kind of, like, glom onto that. And they're, like, Egyptians and build, like, a fake temple in the backyard. And, like... Read every book in the library about Egypt. Yeah, like, go on this whole thing. And they always have to babysit Marshall. So it's, like, the three of them... And then uh, another little girl named Elizabeth, who's, like, younger than them, moves to the apartment complex. And, again, they're kind of, like, told to, like, hang out with her and take her to school. And they like her and they think she's sweet, but they're not sure if they should bring her into their, like, games of, like, playing imaginary Egypt. But eventually they kind of change their mind and decide that she would be fun to have around with that. And so they bring her in. (laughs) And then they're actually... Like I said, there's, like, murders and stuff, so when it gets to, like, Halloween time, uh, all the kids in the neighborhood are supposed to go around in these big groups, because otherwise they wouldn't be let out at night, basically. Like, parents are being really protective about, like, letting their kids go out because one another kid was had disappeared and was, like, turned up dead in the river. And they sneak away during trick-or-treating, basically, to, like, go back to this fake Egypt that they made. that They just call it Egypt. They don't call it fake Egypt, but it's just this <laughs> backyard. And while they're there doing, like, their ceremonies and stuff that they've made up, two of the boys in their class, Melanie and Aprils, who are in sixth grade, I think it says in the book? I think so. Follow them and spy on them. And the girls have this, like, panic moment where they think they're just going to, like, tell everyone and make fun of them. Because, like I said, they're on the cusp of this being, like, kind of not cool and kind of like, look at you, you still play imaginary games. But instead, the boys join them? And so that becomes their, like, click. And they keep making it, like, they all make up fake names, they make, like, a hieroglyphic code, they have, like, costumes they wear, they make up, like, ceremonies and rituals they do. Like, it's this whole thing. They have so much fun with it. And then it all kind of comes to a head at the end where one night April is babysitting for Marshall alone and she realizes she left her math book in Egypt. So she goes back at night with Marshall to get it and she's attacked by someone. Like there's this whole thing, like the professor, the, the guy who owns the antique shop sees it and like breaks a window and calls for help and people come and help her. They take her and Marshall to the police station It turns out that Marshall saw the guy and knows who it is, and it's, like, some stock boy at the grocery store down the street. And everyone in town would be like, he's a professor this entire time. Yeah, they'd all kind of thought it was him, because he's, like, kind of a reclusive hermit, creepy, like, doesn't talk to anyone, has no friends type. Like Um, all of us. Right. And then, so, Egypt gets kind of shut down after that. The fence and stuff that they used to sneak in gets repaired. They all think that they're not going to be allowed back in. 
And then the professor comes and talks to them and, like, explains his story, which is basically, like, his wife died and she was the one who was really into antiques and stuff, even though he actually used to be, like, an archaeological professor or something. And it's her idea to start the store and he's just been kind of, like, going through the motions for years and years and years because he misses her. But he loved, like, he watched them play all the time and he loved it, basically. When he saw April getting hurt, he knew he had to help. Yeah, and yeah. he basically, like, is just like, I like you guys, and now I'm busy with my store. I remember that I should probably live my own life and not just watch kids live theirs. And so he's going to, like, really throw himself back into that. And he gives them keys to the backyard and is like, they can come whenever they want. Am I missing anything? No, that's like, it. Yeah, it's it's a pretty low-key plot line. There's not a lot that happens. It really focuses a lot on the different relationships between the kids and sort of their imaginary world, which is really nice, but it's really hard to summarize. Yeah. So what I liked about this book, though, is that, again, it's not about the plot. It's the, I think she gets the characters and the feelings of being these kids right. Like, I keep harping on the feelings of, like, wanting to do these things, but feeling like you're too cool or too old for them which I felt like I really identified with as a kid. I think her writing is really beautiful. Sometimes when you read children's books, they're kind of like sparse Mm -hmm. in order to be at the right reading level. And this isn't. Like, there's beautiful descriptions. Like, it's very nice. It feels like it's full. But it's not, like, talking down to anyone or anything. You also, they make no attempt to update this one, which is something we talked about, (laughs) which is great, because you get some, like, really awesome 60s slang sometimes. Lots of people saying that they dig things. (laughs) I'm, whenever I see the word fink used, I get very happy in my my heart. Yeah. Kooky is used a couple of times. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it's really nice that she uses such descriptive language to really delve into their imaginary world. And she really does a great job capturing what these sort of imaginary games are like. And when you're further away from them, you're not in that same space. She does a really good job of sort of sparking that like emotional space you're in and that creative space and that way that these things just sort of like you suggest something and your friend elaborates and it's very yes and and you go into suddenly you have these rituals and they all make sense. You're all buying into it. You all believe it. And I think she really portrays it in a beautiful way that really I think doesn't talk down to them doesn't you know dismiss them but really I think emphasizes what a lovely thing that you know unstructured play is (laughs) my only problem with the narrative was at times it did feel a little too deliberately like I am an adult writing this and writing about these kids there was one point where she was talking about like the experience of kids in school and being different it felt very like I am an adult writing about young people. And that, I think there was times where it just felt a little alienating from the text. Yeah, a little. Although I felt a couple of times, I know what you're talking about, because there's a couple of times I was like, did I actually like this as a kid? Like, (laughs) who is this written for? Because it almost feels like it's written, I guess maybe it was at a time when it wasn't as common to write these kind of books for kids, maybe. It feels almost like it was written for adults, but like about kids at certain points I don't know and I was like there was just a weird vibe to it that I was like is this even like would kids like this but I liked it when I was younger it definitely felt like it was a book that I could easily see being written more from the perspective of the kids or more sort of from an omniscient narrator who's on that same level as the kids it felt like listening to your friend's mom describe like your friends it was really kind of a weird weird juxtaposition but yeah i like i remember liking this as a kid so something about it must must resonate right and there's even like the weird like jokes that went over my head as a kid that i got now and i don't mean like dirty or anything but just like literally she would put in conversations that 
Especially Melanie's dad was always making, like, dad jokes. I love Melanie's dad. Melanie's dad's dad jokes, I was like, yes, I am now old enough now to love these dad jokes. (laughs) And I was like, but as a kid, I was like, like, they even... Let me see if I can find the passage. Well, he, he refers to April as the cruelest month, and yeah. it's my favorite thing. And it goes right over her head, and it's like, I mean, of course it does. It's so funny, because it's like, why would you even keep this in? <laughs> Except for, that's the kind of thing that kids really do deal with. Yeah. Is like, weird dad jokes that you don't really understand, where you're just like, uh-huh, I mean, I guess he's cool, but I don't get his jokes. His humor's terrible. But now I do, and I'm yeah. like, why is this here? <laughs> There's definitely a, yeah, a lot of things in the book I remember I don't pick, think I picked up as a kid. There's a lot of things about April's mother and her interactions with April. Cause she just writes letters every now and then and she's basically abandoned April to her grandmother and is leaving her there and April's coping with that. And I, there's a lot of sort of the subtext of that that as a kid I didn't have the experience with to pick up. And as an adult I'm like, oh. Yeah, and the things you hear about April's grandmother are really heartbreaking, especially as an adult. When, like, she's trying so hard, but doesn't really always, like, she's not one of those magical characters in literature who always knows the right thing to say to a kid, or, like, knows what to do. Sometimes it's, like, one of those things where it's like, oh, if only you would have, uh... As if April turned around at the wrong moment, and she'd already left the room, or... Yeah. But she's trying so hard, and that really comes through as an adult now, where she's like, she wants April to be happy and healthy and, like, love her and know that she is loved, but she doesn't quite know how to reach her at first, Mm -hmm. and, like... It is really great seeing their relationship grow and these two people who are not perfect. April sometimes does that thing that I did as a kid a lot where she like kind of acts like a brat on purpose because it's almost like even though I want to like say I love you or something it's like no I'm not going to because I'm not I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And there's really no reason but she does it and it's like that's such a kid thing to do. Yeah the relationships in this are really like they're very realistic and stuff. This is a very this is a very weird book in some ways. It's, yeah, it's it definitely wasn't clear to me who this book was for <laughs> while reading it as an adult. But again, it kind of goes that when you're a kid, you know, you play these imaginary games and they make sense. When you're a kid, you read this book and it makes sense. So I think it actually checks out that it's not clear who this book is for. Yeah, if I wouldn't have read this book as a kid and happened to know that I really liked it, I would have thought I would have been like, no kid likes this book. <laughs> but like, I did. Yeah. And the characters were really, really great. Like, they gave a really interesting group of characters who had different feelings, different backstories, and I feel like it conveyed all of them well. They all, and just the ways they engaged with each other, despite being different, all really made sense. Yeah. I mentioned the diversity in this book before, but I really appreciated that, especially coming from the 60s, that, like, it was never made a big deal, but, like, most of the characters in the book are not white. And you hear just as much from girls as guys. Yeah. And you see a really balanced set of friendship between them. Like, even though it does come up, sometimes there's, you know, some antagonism between um, the boys and April about sort of who's going to be the priest of Set and who's going to be in charge of these rituals. But it's all sort of debated out and handled in the way that these things were when you were a kid. You know, you toss around ideas and one just happens and someone, you know, sneaks in there first with it. But yeah, and all the kids are from, you know, different backgrounds. Um... You know, they explicitly mentioned that, you know, Melanie and Marshall are African-American and Elizabeth is Asian. So you have a really, you know, different group of kids from different backgrounds. And they mm-hmm. do point out, like, this is an area where you have, because it's a university town, you do have a lot of folks from different backgrounds who come here. Ken is also Asian. Ah, yeah. Although that is, I think that is mentioned in the text, but it's also made very clear in the illustration. Did your book mm-hmm. have illustrations? Yes. 
Okay, the illustrations in this book are beautiful. Yeah. I love them. They were very good. They're very highly 60s, like, stylized, but, like, really gorgeous, and they're, like, in black and white, but they're still somehow managed to be, like, really vivid, and I just, I love them. I think they're great. And they really captured all the kids so well in, like, their adventures, and they were really, like, beautiful and simple in a way that I think really was great. Like, I miss... Yeah. That's the one thing I do miss about, like, kids' books is, like, having these really fun illustrations in them sometimes. Yeah, even though she does a good job of describing what the kids look like, there's still, like, I think the first illustration you see, or one of the first, is, like, of Melanie and April meeting when April has on her, like, ridiculous stole and, like, her hair in a beehive and, like, these giant eyelashes and this giant purse. She looks ridiculous. She looks like a little kid wearing like what she thinks is glamorous clothes which is exactly what she is yeah or like melanie looks like an adorable little girl in like 60s clothes yeah the false eyelashes are what gets to me as someone who has often worn false eyelashes i'm trying to picture being a child with a smaller face and especially because you know she didn't go for like the 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 sort of regular length false eyelashes you know she went for the biggest ones she could find and i'm just trying to like picture trying to put those on your eyelids as a child and it sounds deeply stressful to me. Yeah, she really, they talk about them a lot and they're really hilarious to me because she thinks they're glamorous, of course, and that they make her look, like, different and great. They always talk about how she doesn't put them on right and, like, she can't really, like, read very well with them. She has to, like, prop her eyes open and, like, all this stuff. Since Melanie and April meet over the summer and hang out all summer, when they go back to school, there's actually a little bit about how Melanie is like, well, I feel bad, but... I can't, it's just one thing too many that she's going to get made fun of for. So she like steals the eyelashes (laughs) before the first day of school and makes April go for like a week or two without them and then like throws them back in her room as if they had been like knocked under the dresser. (laughs) It's pretty funny actually. Also, it was a pretty good plan. Yeah. Yeah, she was very successful at that. That was a very well executed plan and uh, definitely worked out well. (laughs) Melanie has her back. Where she's like, look, I'm not trying to say you have to be like this forever, but just keeping an eye on you so that you're not picked on too much in the first day. (laughs) So I did like that. Yeah. Uh, There's not like a lot of humor in this book. No. But there are like a couple of things that were like cute. Just like the way they talk and like some sarcastic comments and stuff I thought were good. Um, surprisingly, I think that Marshall has a lot of the best, like... Oh, agreed. Marshall has all the best lines because it's this four-year-old who doesn't talk much, and when he does, it's something really intense. Yeah, and Marshall, even though he's the youngest, is not very imaginative, and he's also very, like, dry, and just sometimes he doesn't get things. So sometimes it's, like, innocent questions, too, and it's sometimes hard to tell where it's just, like, do you not get this, or are you just saying that we're dumb? (laughs) But, like, it's pretty good. One time, they're pretending that they're, like, looking for a sign for something as part of this Egypt game. And one of the signs was, like, a pigeon feather that they found that they were pretending was something else. And they're walking down the street and they're, like, looking for the next secret omen. And Marshall just goes, will it be a pigeon feather? (laughs) That one made me laugh a little. It's things like that where it's, like, nice bird, even though they completely ignore him. Um, I also like when they go trick-or-treating... He is demanding a sign, and they think he's referencing back that particular conversation. And they're like, shh, don't let anyone know what you're talking about. And then he keeps asking about it, and they finally realize that he's never been trick-or-treating, but he's been to demonstrations and protests. 
Yes. So I highlighted this section explicitly because I have so many questions about this. That he doesn't know about trick-or-treating. The quote is, I guess he thinks we're at, a, we're at a demonstration, like at the university. He's never been trick-or-treating because he was too young last year. But he knows about demonstrations. How does he know about demonstrations? Yeah, because Melody and Marshall's parents take their kids to so many demonstrations and protests that they know what those are. I was Which, just like, this is hilarious and awesome. Melanie and Marshall's parents are the best. <laughs> this is true. I love their parents. And actually, it makes more sense because at the time when I read this, I didn't know what date it was. And now knowing that this was written in the 60s, that actually checks out more. Because I thought for some reason this had been like late 70s or something. Yeah. Yeah. In the 60s, it's like, that's probably dead on. I mean, they yeah. were obviously living in a liberal place and they keep making references to how they both... She works as a teacher and he's at the university getting his grad something mm -hmm. i don't even know yeah but yeah that quote from marshall's like i want to know everything about this right now um marshall marshall has all the best moments in a lot of ways there was also a pretty funny i don't even think we said the boys names the boys names are ken and toby <laughs> ken's kind of the jock who is a little more like not on board with this but kind of is and toby is just kind of like the class clown like popular dude who's like really on board with this he's so into it it's great and toby's dad is like kind of sketchy and like sometimes the things like the glimpses you get of his home life is a little weird and off but his dad is like an artist and so for halloween this part did make me laugh and i don't think i ever got it as a kid i was always just like what but like for halloween toby asked for like help from his dad like oh do you have any ideas or whatever and his dad was like let me think on this and then dressed him up as basically like some sort of modern art piece where he's like just covered in boxes with ads on them like cardboard boxes with ads like some sort of weird april calls him a pile of junk <laughs> can i read the whole quote because yeah. i love this okay boy are you two in character april said a monster and a pile of junk i'll have you know that i represent the new american toby said haughtily then he grinned it was my dad's idea he says it's a new art form he just invented Toby's dad had been a graduate student at the university. He was also a sculptor who made statues out of all kinds of junk. An art form, April said. Well, all I can say is, don't, Toby interrupted. You just show off your ignorance. I love everything about that scene. Yeah, that whole scene made me laugh as an adult. Like I said, I don't think I ever noticed it as a kid, but something about his dad being this, like, sculptor who makes things out of trash and, like, literally dresses his kid like it for Halloween is really funny to me. Like, oh man, dude. I am now thinking of the people I knew in college who are definitely doing this to their kids. <laughs> and that makes me happy. It was nice that Toby went along with it so easily, too. Like, he even gets upset later when one of them squishes one of his boxes. <laughs> Yeah, apparently his dad was not real happy when he came home with all his boxes squished. Which is also kind of funny and, like, dead on for artists. Like, yeah. Like, being like, oh, so you sent me a, a kid out trick-or-treating did this, and then you're upset that it came home in not pristine condition. <laughs> I mean, granted, it became that way because Toby, like, ran off to, like, God knows where to sneak under a fence and, like, trespass on some stranger's property and play with fire. Man, these kids light a lot of fires. <laughs> They light a lot of fires, and the fact that the professor is watching them set fires in his backyard this entire book and is fine with it. Well, I mean, he does at least say, like, I had to sometimes keep an eye on you because I was worried that all your fires would burn the place down. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's fair, professor. 
I would also like to note that these kids spend a lot of time dumpster diving for things. <laughs> like, there's a lot of passages where they decide that they are gonna, like, do something in Egypt and they need some material for it. So they're like, I know where we can get that. The alley behind the store has a dumpster. <laughs> they are very resourceful. Yeah. I'd also like to say that the ending in this book had a little bit of a To Kill a Mockingbird vibe. With the whole, like, recluse helps save young girl who's being attacked by scary man type thing. And I loved To Kill a Mockingbird when I was a kid. So I think at some point the two of them might have gotten a little bit, like, confused in my mind. That's fair. Yeah, did it have that vibe where he, you know, came out and was suddenly this helpful, nice old man that had been this, you know, creepy figure in town the entire time? Although April does talk to him at the very beginning of the book before she meets anyone. And, like, was pretty okay with him. Yeah. She was like, he doesn't talk much, but he wasn't really creepy. Yeah. He also, once he's, like, a little bit nicer at the end, like, has, like, real antiquities. Like, not just, like, oh, I have this china teapot. It was like, oh, I have these, like, alabaster statues that are actually from Egypt that I got at, like, a dig. And he's, like, really cool about just being, like, do you want to hold him? Like, <laughs> Yeah, he's, I love the scene at the end where he's really connecting with these kids about his past and really talking about why he started the store. And it's, re- it's a really sweet scene. Other cool things about this book are all the times that April Bird's uh, boys. <laughs> She's always yeah. just like, boys, yuck. <laughs> and it's pretty great, especially because I feel like you get a lot in children's books of boys saying that about girls. Yeah. And not quite as much of girls saying that about boys. Especially girls April's age, where it's like, I feel like that's when they start to have, like, crushes and stuff. And she's always just like, ugh, do we have to talk to these boys? And I like that even with that antagonism, in the end, she does really like their ideas, and they all sort of end up kind of getting along. Yeah, totally. But just, like, every time they do something she doesn't like, she's like, it's because you're a boy. (laughs) I really loved everything that happened with their whole oracle sequence. So they decide... about that. Yeah, so they decide to basically have an oracular oracular ritual, and they have a stuffed owl, like a taxidermied owl, and they basically write down questions and put it in the beak and do a whole ritual, and then the next day they come back, and they find the question has been answered with, like, really adult, esoteric responses, and the kids don't know what to do with this. And it ends up actually in the end being that um, Toby was the one who broke in at night and took like his dad's book of inspirational quotes <laughs> and found one that looked like it might be relevant and wrote these down. But then it really comes to a head when Marshall wants to find security after security has become lost and puts that in as a question. They realize, oh, no, this is going to really disappoint this four year old. And then they come in and there's an answer of where security is. Because it turns out the professor had moved security to keep security out of the rain and then went and participated by basically responding to this oracle. And the idea of the professor as the oracle is basically my favorite thing. It is pretty great to think of him like sneaking back there and reading the, like, it meant that he was sneaking back and reading the questions every time too. Like he didn't. And the fact that he knew the octopus's name was security, because like when you see like where security as a question, I mean... Either this is a four-year-old with a very intense, like, esoteric sense of nature of what? What is security? Where can I find security in the world? But no, it's it's this octopus. I love all these, also, they're like panic attacks about everything, where it's like, 
first they're panicking because they don't know what to tell Marshall. So they decide, like, they have, like, a conference at recess and stuff. And they, like, even decide that they're going to, like, make up a story about how security went to visit family or something. Security's on vacation to visit family for four days. And then they're also freaking out later when they get an answer and they're like, uh. (laughs) And so it's, like, all these, like, you know... 10 to 12 year olds freaking out being like how did this get answered and meanwhile this four year old's just like yeah i knew it would get answered (laughs) (laughs) the interesting thing to me is the fact that this actually wrecks the game for them in a lot of ways they get so creeped out by it they don't want to go back which i think is really interesting because often you see in sort of these stories about kids with imaginary worlds you know, when it starts to intersect with realities, when they go back more and here they go, oh, no, things have gotten weird. We're good. We we knew this was imaginary. <laughs> right. So are there any other scenes that really sort of stuck out to you? Not really. Like I said, it was like, it was kind of a delight to read this book. This is definitely a like, this book reminded me of the kind of book you curl up with over like winter break. And it's just like a cozy, nice read. You know, like it's lovely. There's nothing too exciting, but sometimes that's nice. It's just yeah. like a nice easy read it's like the kind of book you'd read if you were sick or something where you're just like this is relaxing but not like boring like it wasn't like oh i have to force myself through this and like i said the descriptions were good even though it's written at a level for younger kids it like i said it doesn't feel sparse like it doesn't feel like the writer is just leaving out words because she thought they were too big Mm mm-hmm it really feels like she's writing a lovely book and is just like, you know, uses whatever vocabulary a 10-year-old has and still manages to make it sound lovely. Like, yeah. No, I think that's kind of my same feeling on it. Like, it's a book that I didn't super love, but there were, in like, a lot of individual instances and a, a lot of the ways they constructed the game and their devotion to it that I really found engaging. And so I really really like that a lot of like it wasn't a book i was like oh my god this is the best book but it's i'm like this is a really lovely book that was written in a really you know adult way but really sort of captures a lot of things about childhood in a way that felt really honest yeah and it kind of just captures that transition i think of feeling like you're too old for certain things but also still really wanting to be a kid yeah like and not realizing until you're older that you actually are very young still at that point and a lot about just negotiating those relationships as a kid and how how you start dealing with friendships in cases where, you know, you do have conflict and you do have these shared experiences. So I think it just, it felt really honest and nice. Although, man, like, there are some parts where I just feel really awkward reading about kids playing at Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. But I am glad that they didn't make an awkward attempt to try and, like, upgrade this. Like, that it yeah. is allowed to be a period piece. Yeah. And be like, this is what... It was like that. We said these things. Yeah. There's nothing too bad. There are a little, like, a couple of jarring, like, oh, we wouldn't say exactly that anymore. Like, when they're talking about, like, Egypt walking in things. And it's, it's, you know, like, what kids who had only, in the 60s, who only had Hollywood exposure to Egypt and were sort of romanticizing and exoticizing Egypt would interpret it as. Totally. So it's, like, not unexpected, but reading it through a modern lens, there's definitely points where you can feel the datedness in the writing. Like, sometimes when they're, like, describing Elizabeth's features and there's, like, some wording about, they get really obsessed with describing the shape of her eyes and you just... uh, Just gonna say, it's, like, they say a lot about, like, exotic-looking eyes and every time I was like... "Mm." Yeah. I was like... "Mm." I'm like, okay, written in 1967, you know, different, different time period of writing, different, you know, interpretation. But if that's something that you're like, eh, on, you know, it's there. Yeah. I just want to read these two quotes of, I just think it's really nice the way she gets into all the different kids' heads. 
and like says what they're thinking and you can kind of see the different styles like Toby and April both have this way of trying to act older than they are even in just like the way they think and Toby's way is more of acting like he's this like the coolest guy in the world and stuff and Mm -hmm. like the slang he uses whereas April is more just like exasperated at everyone and just like ugh over it and I love it so this is them thinking about each other (laughs) and Toby's was Toby thinks to himself he told those dames before Egypt was Egypt but at school you had to play it cool (laughs) (laughs) and like a lot of Toby's things are like that where you're just like a slang so good (laughs) like b like those dames (laughs) (laughs) you know those dames and this one well, April and Melanie looked at each other, or said to each other, only with just a look, not out loud. Wasn't that like a boy? They got things into a mess and then expected a girl to get them out of it. <sighs> That's, I think, all the other thing in this book. There's so many good moments and, in, like, individual paragraphs. There's, like, these really great quotes and sections. So for all that it's not super dramatic, you're like, oh, oh, that's so good. Also, I forgot about that thing where sometimes you have swear words that are basically mad-libbed out. When we got to the swear words and they were just hyphened out, I was like, oh, right, that was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think overall this was a really, like, just a really sweet book. Not something that will blow your world up or anything, but, like, you know, something that I'm kind of glad is still around, and I hope that kids really are still getting something out of it. Like, there's a lot of timeless things in this about imagination and, like, that transitioning and just, like, even making friends and stuff. They don't really dwell on much of it, but the the few paragraphs she has about, like, what it was like for April to be the weirdo at school and how there's, like, a weird line where sometimes weirdos are okay, but sometimes you cross the line it's too much. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, it really rings true without getting too much into details. Just, like, it's a feeling I think a lot of people know. Yeah, um, and they got a lot into sort of... That she was going to be, you know, teased no matter what on the first day. And it was really about sort of negotiating that situation and doing the best they could to to deal with it. And I think that felt actually true to experience in a lot of ways. And yeah, I think, you know, the whole negotiation with they didn't want to like Elizabeth. They were being made to hang out with this younger girl and she was little. And then they met her and they're like, oh, we do like her. Yeah. Oh, she is really nice. Oh, she does have good ideas. Actually, we love her. <laughs> She must play with us. I mean, it was the same when April met Melanie, where she was like, I'm not going to like this girl you're making me hang out with just because we live near each other. And then they immediately got along, like, so great. And April was like, it's fine. I mean, I'll hang out with her all the time. (laughs) But only because I have to. (laughs) Yeah, and it's that way that when you make a friendship that you had some initial snap judgments on, suddenly those judgments never happen. I'm like, yes, this this is accurate. Yeah. I'd also like to say that the Egypt game has a sequel. I don't know if you ever read it. I did not. Um, I think it's called The Gypsy Game. Yeah. And I remember reading it as a kid and not loving it as much. And so... Because it was written in the 90s. I have no clue when it was written. Yeah, I I saw it on Wikipedia. It was written, like, way later. Yeah, it didn't have the same feeling for me. And it was also, like, a little bit darker, but in ways that, if I remember correctly, it mostly followed Toby... And, like, the fucked up things happening in him with his dad and stuff. I don't exactly remember what happened, but it was basically, like, being made to shoulder responsibilities that you should not as a kid. And, like, having to sometimes take care of your own parent and things that, like, possibly maybe if I identified it with it more, 
it might have been better. And again, I haven't read this since I was a kid. But just, like, I remember not liking it as much. If it was really, if it was written many years later, that also might make sense, because... I just Googled it while you were talking. It was written in 1997. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah, that's... Because I can't even tell you when it was... That's 30 years later. Yeah. So, not my favorite. I'm not sure I would recommend that to people, Mm -hmm. but... So, overall, then, what is your rating for this? I think I would give this book a five. Like, I liked it a lot. But I don't know that's something that I would, like, necessarily pick out for a kid or, like, necessarily make someone read or, like, like I said, it doesn't set your world on fire. But if you're just looking for a book where you'll be like, that was nice. Yeah. (laughs) This will fit the bill. Yeah. I think I'm pretty much in alignment with that. I would give it a six. I think it was really good in a lot of ways. But again, same thing. I can't figure out if I would recommend this to a kid. I feel like this is the kind of thing they'd probably need to stumble across on their own. Yeah, I can't say that I would buy this specifically for anyone. Yeah. But it was great. And I mean, if you see it at a bookstore and want to like flip through and look at the illustrations, I would definitely highly recommend that. And if you're training your kid up to want to be in a secret society, this is maybe a good introduction to that. If you're worried your kid is dumpster diving. (laughs) Needs tips. If you're worried your kid isn't getting out enough and you want them to take up dumpster diving... This book might help. If you're wondering, should I take my kid to that protest but not trick-or-treating? The answer is yes. Yeah. Because Marshall is dope, so they're clearly doing something right with that kid. Ah, oh, Marshall is so good. So Marshall knew all along the professor was watching them and never said anything. Yeah, I don't think I ever mentioned that, but Marshall definitely was the only one who ever saw him in the window. It was just like, yeah, I mean, he watches us all the time. Did you guys not know that? <laughs> I don't know four-year-olds. I don't know anything about four-year-olds, so I have no idea if his behavior is standard for four-year-olds in terms of what he sees. not standard for four-year-olds. Okay. (laughs) As someone with a four-year-old goddaughter, let me tell you what. And I mean, she's not, like, dumb or really behind her age or anything, but if she ever acted like Marshall even for a day, I'd be like, are you a genius baby? Didn't Alien (laughs) come down and take over your brain? (laughs) The only time he really acts like a four-year-old I know is when he, like, gets upset about his stuffed animal and stuff. I'm like, that's more familiar. (laughs) Yeah. To be fair, it's a really rad octopus. I mean, yeah, I'm not arguing with that. So I think that's everything. Is there anything else quote-wise you want to share or... That's it. All right. In that case, thank you everyone for joining us this week. In two weeks, we're going to be reading Catherine Called Birdie. If you want to get in touch with us, we now have ways you can do that. You could email us at throwbackbookstack at gmail.com. Or we have a Twitter account if you want to follow us and, you know, say hi. Uh, at throwbackbspod, because when you're coming up with a podcast, you don't consider the fact that, hey, how many characters can you have in a Twitter handle? The answer is not as many as our podcast name. <laughs> our music this week is Heartbreaker by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. So yeah, uh, thank you everyone for joining us, and we hope that you'll be back with us in two weeks.